So Father God, each one of us comes into this place right now bringing with us luggage and baggage. And each of, each of us is unique in that way, whether our experience this morning was fantastic or whether we argued for a half hour on our way to church and we're now pretending like everything's okay. God, you see our hearts. And as we look at the book of Ruth today, God, you know this, you wrote it, that it is, it is a book that really encompasses a lot of different places in life. And so, God, for all of us in this room, in the different places that we're in, I pray that you would speak to each one of us exactly the way that you need to speak to us and that you would give us ears to hear what you want us to hear this morning. And may these be your words and not mine, God. Help us to be people who are committed. Help us to be people who can see through the storm that the sun is just on the other side of the Lord. Help us to be people of grace and mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love the lyrics to the songs we sang this morning, and every one of them really does a great job of setting up where we're at today. And so what we're doing is we're continuing in our sermon series called Profiles, and we're looking at Old Testament people. And so for today, I want you to imagine if you were to look at Facebook and see Ruth's Facebook page, you would see on that Facebook page and in a relationship with a guy named Boaz. All right, so Boaz is important in the story. Ruth is important in the story. And then she would have like relationships that she would have that her mother-in-law was on there. And her name's Naomi. So there's three key people that we want to remember this morning as we dive into the Word of God. It's Ruth. Naomi, and a guy named Boaz, okay? It's kind of like a soap opera of the Bible. Instead of it being days of our lives where you have hope and bow, it's, it's like the days of the Bible and you got Ruth and Boaz, okay? So it's, it's a really good story, and I want to encourage you, if you have a pen and paper, grab it out, because I'm going to teach you several things um, that are really awesome concepts that the book of Ruth is a very... Teach, teachers love the book of Ruth because it's, it's so teachable. There's a lot to cover, and we're not even going to be able to cover everything But I don't believe that we can honestly talk about Ruth without talking about Boaz, without talking about Naomi, and so we're just going to get to it. One of the things we do as a culture is we love to commit to things, don't we? I coached Little League, and in the past when I've coached, I've had these kids on my team that uh, they, they commit to playing baseball. They commit to being a part of the team, but what ends up happening is they didn't just commit to being a part of our baseball team, they committed to being a part of a hockey team, they committed to being a part of the football team, they've committed to being a part of the, of the lacrosse team, they've committed to being a part of the squirrel taming team, whatever else there is, these kids have committed to it, and so what ends up happening is, is over the course of our baseball season, we'll have these kids that maybe show up at one or two things, and so in their attempt to be committed to everything, they're in fact committed committed to nothing and a part of nothing. And I think we as a culture have become so goal-oriented, not that that's a bad thing, but we've become so driven on doing as much as we can that we forget that there's something to doing the best that we can. That, that sometimes it's not even a matter of choosing between good and bad, but it's a matter of choosing between good and great. And that in our lives, there are moments where God wants you to be still. That there are moments in your lives where God maybe doesn't want you to be committed to everything. That instead, God desires for us to be a people of our word. Let our yes be our yes and our no be our no. And when we, especially as believers, commit to something, we should honor our commitments, even if it costs us something. Because we need to be people of our word, 
like we're going to see in our story today. I went online to look at unfulfilled commitments to see what just came up. I just typed in the word unfulfilled commitments, and, and this broke my heart. And the number one things that came up online as I Googled this with unfulfilled fulfilled commitments was promises that parents would make to their children, to the simplest of things of, hey, we'll go see a movie tomorrow, buddy, to, yeah, we'll help you with your wedding. And so from the biggest to the small, God cares about the way that we as people honor our commitments. I know the last few weeks I feel like I've been taking pot shots at married people, and I'm going to do it again. Sorry, it's God's word, not mine. Have a beef with him, okay? But God gave us wedding vows. And we stood in front of a pastor, and we stood in front of God, and we made vows and commitment that until death do us part, we will stand by this person's side. Come hell or high water, we will stand together, unified under the bondage of God. But as soon as our first bill is late, we look for that big D word. And as soon as things get a little rocky, our society goes immediately to quitting and not honoring our word and honoring our vows. I was so blessed this week to, to be with Gary and Annette Edwards. They've been married for 25 years, and, and they're in here, and I know it's probably awkward for them, but they're my illustration this morning. And they came to me, and they said, hey, you know, we want to celebrate our 25 years of marriage by renewing our vows before God. And so this past week, we got together, we had a little ceremony, and they used that passage of Scripture that we read this morning about where you go, I will go, where you will be, I will be. And it's a romantic uh, verse. It's a beautiful verse. But what was beautiful is I watched two people honor the vows, the covenant that they made with God. And they committed to 25 more years. And I watched as their children witnessed that. And it wasn't all easy. So as, as, as believers, we need to honor our commitments. We need to honor our vows. Let me take a moment and say this, that that verse that we read this morning is really the, the culmination of who Ruth is. And gentlemen, if you're looking for a romantic verse to read to someone when you're doing a wedding proposal, oh, that's it. I used that when I proposed to my wife, and it was fantastic, and it later became a joke when my wife realized that that verse was actually from a daughter-in-law to a mother-in-law, and she said, you know, you saying that to my mom? And anyway, it was funny to us. So, that being said, God has something to say about us in our, in our word and our commitments. And Abraham, as we saw last week, was committed to God, and he was committed to the point of sacrifice and committed to following God. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Ruth. We're going to go through the entire book because it has something very awesome to say to us. Now, this book you can read in 20 minutes. In fact, I give you all a homework assignment. Go home and read the book of Ruth today. If you're married, sit down with your spouse and read it with them. It is a beautiful book that has tons and tons to teach us. And then when you're all said and done, you can tell everybody you read an entire book of the Bible today and feel holy, okay? It's good. It's good. But it's a short one. It's only four chapters long. But in it, there's three concepts that I think are important for us as a church to understand before you, we're going we're gonna to really run through the book here. But I want you to understand three important concepts. And so these are the things I want you to take notes on right now. The first thing I want you to, to know is that there is this thing in, in Hebrew culture, it's called hesed. There's not an English word for it, but what hesed is, it's a type of love. And, and as I try to put like an English phrase to it, I think I would call random acts of kindness our misunderstanding of the word hesed. 
Hesed is a love that is dished out, not because the person deserves the love, not because the person has earned the love. It's simply a love that is dished out by someone in a powerful position or someone up here who gets to love somebody simply because they can. It is a beautiful thing. It's, you're going to see a great three examples of it here in this book. But I want you to think about someone who has demonstrated love to you. Maybe a person of position, a person of power. And there was no reason for that person to demonstrate love to you for other than the fact they just wanted to. We all have that person in Jesus. But as we see in the book of Ruth, it is an important concept to understand that we're going to talk about this concept of hesed. Goel is another one. It's a Hebrew word. We know it as the kinsman redeemer. And what the kinsman redeemer is, the kinsman redeemer, let's say I'm married, which I am, and I have three brothers. If something were to happen to me, my three brothers, or let's say my cousins or somebody, in my family, the people of my clan, would have several responsibilities. First would be this. Let's say someone murders me. Okay, the kinsman redeemer had a responsibility, you see, because the time period in which we're in is in a time period known as the time of the judges. It's like martial law. There's no police stations. There's no, there's no folks out there watching out for your safety. Really what it was was a time where people did whatever they thought was right and whatever they felt was right. So there was a lot of chaos. There was a lot of darkness. And so within these families, there was this kinsman redeemer, and one of his responsibilities was, was to be judge, jury, and executioner. So if somebody murdered me, my brother Ben would have the responsibility to go and to avenge my death, to right my death, to not go above and beyond, but to to honor me by taking the life of the one who took my life. Another instance of this kinsman redeemer would be that he would take care of my little ones. Uh, If if I had children and I just died because I had a a goading accident, I don't know what kind of accidents they had back then, but they had a goading accident and I died. And, And so now my brother would be responsible for basically being the godparents of my children and he would take my children in and he would care for them. If I owned a house or owned land, he would be responsible for making sure that that land continued in my family's line. If I was married, he would be responsible, get this, for marrying my wife, for taking her into his home under his care, not so that he can accumulate another wife, but so that my family line, my name, will continue on. It's a way of honoring and keeping clan wholeness. And so that kinsman redeemer, it was an unwritten rule, but they had a a, a tremendous responsibility for looking to the future of the family. The third concept I want to talk about that we're going to see in the book of Ruth is the concept of gleaning. A lot of you say this and you say, oh, we just glean whatever we can from it, but do you really know what it means? See, in the scripture, it talks to the harvesters and the people, the farmers, and what they did was is they would go out and when they would harvest barley or grapes or whatever it is that they would harvest, they would go out and they would make one pass by the vineyard. And anything that they left on the vine was purposely left for those that did not have land. It was left for those who were poor, those who were destitute, the widows, the orphans. And then what would happen the evening after or the time after the the, the original harvesters would come through, the, the poor folks would then come through and the needy folks would come through and they would glean what was left over. Meaning they would take the rotten fruit or whatever little bit of fruit was left. That's what gleaning is. And so they usually picked up what was left on the ground and there was usually nothing left for them 
on the sheaves or the, the trees or whatever you want to call it. So you got those three concepts. We've got our three players. I know we're talking about Ruth, but you can't talk about Ruth without talking about Naomi, and you can't talk about Ruth without talking about Boaz. So we've got our three concepts, and we've got our three players. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Ruth 1. And we're really going to fly through this book, and that's why I'm encouraging you to read through it later. Don't just believe what I say. Test it with the Word. Please, 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 please. And so what happens is, as you've got this woman... Her name is Naomi. She's married to a man by the name of Elimelech. And they live in Bethlehem. Now, there's a lot of little funny ironies that take place in this story because you see the word Bethlehem actually means the house of bread. Well, let me tell you something about the house of bread right now. The house of bread is barren because there is a famine going on in the land and there is no food in Bethlehem. So Elimelech does what most of us would probably do. We would do something to better our family's current condition. We would do something to make sure that our family was fed. But what Elimelech does is he goes a little bit above and beyond, and he breaks with the culture, and so he leaves Bethlehem. He takes his two sons and his wife, and he goes to a place called Moab. All right, It would be like a Steelers fan taking their family and moving to Cleveland. Okay, it's, You just don't do that, right? There you go. Okay. So, so this is taking place because the rumor is in Moab that there's an abundance of food. There's an abundance of this. And so they move there. And so it's ironic because they leave the place that is literally named the house of bread because they're starving. And they go searching for food. Instead of finding food, what they find is nothing but sorrow and death. For you see, when they go to Moab, Elimelech dies. And Naomi's husband is gone. Now in her heart, Naomi thinks that God's punishing her for leaving the people of Israel. But there's actually nothing in there that says that's why this happened. So what ends up happening is, is she dies and the boys then begin to take care of the family. And so as they turn into men, you know, the men meet women and they decide, hey, we're going to get married. And so instead of keeping with their custom and finding some good Jewish women to marry, they find a couple of Moabites and they marry these Moabite women. Now, in fairness to these Moabites, they're fantastic ladies. There's one named Orpah and another by the name of Ruth. They're fantastic wives. They have a fantastic life and they, and they live for about 10 years And then the sons die. So now you have Naomi who left the town of bread to come to a place of starvation. She loses her husband. And now not only has she lost her husband, she has now lost her sons. And in in that culture, she has basically lost everything. Because surely these young daughters-in-law with her, they're not going to stick around. She has lost everything. She's not going to be able to provide for herself. Basically, what is happening is, is Naomi is looking at the extinction of her family. There is no hope for this family. And so in a desperate plea to preserve the relationship she has with her daughter-in-laws, she says, look, ladies, I want you to go back to your people. I want you to go back to your families. Go back to worshiping your gods, which, which the big god in Moab was actually a god by the name of Chamash. He's known as the fish god. Isn't that funny? Chamash, there you go. He's not real. Let me tell you something. There's no power there. So, so these ladies came from that. And so what happens is, as you'll read in, in, in chapter 1 there, is Orpah decides that, Okay, Naomi, you know what? You're asking me to go back to my people. It's with a grieved heart. I'm going to go back to my people. But Ruth stands there, and she clings to Naomi, and she says, I beg you, do not, do not ask me to leave you. 
Let's look at this scripture. This is what she says. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown your dead to, to, to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And she kissed them and wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, No, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? I am, going to have, am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm old. I'm too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there were still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and they gave birth to, and we gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is even more bitter for me because the Lord has gone out against me. At this they wept, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to your her people and her gods. Please go back with her. But Ruth replied, Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she just stopped asking. Do you catch what Ruth is saying in that moment? Ruth is saying in that moment, Naomi, I'm going to leave everything for you. I'm going to leave my family. I'm going to leave my loved ones because I want to follow you and I want to follow your God. So not only was she committing to Naomi, she was committing to God. She was committing to converting to Judaism. And so they went back. And there was this beautiful person who came side, alongside of a broken down, bitter old woman. I mean, think about it. You just lost your sons. You just lost your husband. That's a horrible 10 years. And so I don't know what the situation you're going through in your life right now, but we all have those seasons where we experience that bitter pain, that bitterness. And the sad thing is, is that in Naomi's bitterness and in her pain, they end up going back to Bethlehem. And when they get there, the town is abuzz because you can probably imagine this is a small little town and, and they've brought this Moabite woman back with them. Everybody's talking about it. And so the women of town, they, they see Naomi and she says, they say, Naomi, is that you? And Naomi's name actually means sweet. She says, don't call me Naomi anymore. For God has stretched his hand out upon me. Call me Mara, for I am now just bitter. And what breaks my heart about Naomi is she goes back to Bethlehem, which is now teeming with life because God has provided, and they heard about this, and this is why they go back. It's teeming with life, and what breaks my heart is because Naomi is so bitter about what has happened in her past, because Naomi is so hurt by things she has every right to be hurt about, she goes back to town and she tells everybody, I have nothing, I've returned with nothing, I am empty, and the Lord has cursed me. But the reality of it is, she didn't return with nothing. The reality of it was she had a woman by the name of Ruth who had just committed to standing beside her. And the reality of it is in our lives all the time is God is blessing our socks on in our most bittersweet moments, but we're too hurt to see it. And so I want to challenge you as a church, like Naomi needed to be challenged, do you see the blessings that God has put around you in your dark moments? 
Because I'm going to tell you right now, it is hard. It is hard to overcome those dark moments. It is hard to overcome those moments of affliction. You know, when we're in a thunderstorm, I promise you this, just on the other side of those clouds, the sun still exists. And just like in our lives, when we think we can see the sun, he's still there. He's waiting. He's, he's working with us. He's, he's providing for us. Because you see, Naomi and Ruth's story doesn't stop there. Because when Ruth comes into town, she, she knows that she has hardships to endure. Because a Moabite is coming into our community, we don't want her here. We don't want her kind here. We don't like them. We don't want them to be a part of this. And so she now comes into town and, and she begins to think of how can I provide for my mother-in-law because I made this commitment to her and at personal expense, I'm going to go out and I'm going to provide for this woman I've declared my love for and I'm going to serve her God and I'm going to serve her people. And so Naomi says to Ruth, well, what we can do is, is we can turn to gleaning. You can go out and you can glean in the fields. And so Ruth goes out and she finds this field. And I want to say this to us, church. I'm a big hockey fan, so you hear me talk about luck and stuff a lot. There's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as chance. There's there's only this one thing, and it's called the divine providence of God. Nothing is a mistake. Nothing just happens. But God does stuff in a beautiful, poetic way that we can't understand. Because you see, just by chance, Ruth ends up at the field of a guy named Boaz. And when she gets there, she starts gleaning. And there's some type of altercation. We're now into Ruth 2. There's some type of altercation that takes place where maybe it's one of the workers, is cat calling at her, or they're harassing her. You can imagine. And so this guy, Boaz, who owns the land, shows up. And what we read about Boaz first is the first thing out of Boaz's mouth that we see in the Bible is he says this, may the peace of the Lord be with you. And the people say back to him, and also with you. You see this godly greeting from this man. He sees this foreign woman in his field, and he says, who is that? And his helpers say, well, that's that Moabite woman. He's like, whoa, 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 your attitude's all wrong. And he begins to talk and defend her and says, you know what, we're going to let her glean in our field. And In fact, this is what I want you to do. When she gleans in our field, I actually want you to accidentally forget to harvest a lot of stuff. And so Boaz demonstrates hesed. This is the second example of hesed, that type of love that we see. The first one was when Ruth went with Naomi. And so Boaz, for no other reason than he can, says, I want to bless this woman. I want you to leave some grain, leave some barley, leave a lot of stuff. In fact, don't even harvest anything. In fact, I want her to travel with our ladies and and don't let anybody mess with her. Don't you dare embarrass her. He then calls Ruth over and he says, hey, this is what we're going to do for you. I want you to glean in my fields. I want you to to, to feed your family. He says, and and again, I'm, I'm bringing a lot together for the sake of time. He says, oh, by the way, give me your hood. And he dumps all this grain in her hood, and he blesses Ruth. He protects Ruth. Not because he had to, because he got to. Because by grace and mercy, he could. That's Ruth 2 into Ruth 3. And so here we come into Ruth 3, and a beautiful kind of 
soap opera-ish type thing happens. Naomi, or Ruth goes back to Naomi and she says, hey, uh, you know, it was this awesome day. And she said, did you get some grain? Did I get some grain? Listen to this. Not only did I get the grain, I like hit the granddaddy of the grain fields, the glean fields. And she, she comes home and she begins to tell Naomi about how she bumped into this guy by chance, this man by the name of, of Boaz and, and how Boaz took care of her and even said that she thought it was, he thought it was cool the way that I took care of you. And so he's blessing us. And, and she went, Boaz? Boaz is one of our kinsmen redeemers. He's one of the guys that can fix this entire thing for us. So Naomi comes into Bethlehem with no hope whatsoever. But by God's divine providence, there's now a tomorrow. There's now life. There's now food. And so I love this because Naomi completely takes advantage of Ruth's ignorance of their culture. She says, okay, this is what I want you to do. Boaz is going to go down to the grain and he's going to start working in the mill and he's going to start milling some of the stuff and making stuff. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to dress up real nice. And then I want you to go down there and when he falls asleep, I want you to lay at his feet. Take his his shoes off. Just take his shoes off and then lay at his feet and don't do anything else. Just do that. And I'm sure Ruth is sitting there going, oh, okay, I'll, I'll go do that. So when she gets there, she does this, and and something stirs Boaz in the night. Something wakes Boaz up, and so he wakes up, and there's a woman at his feet. See, now what Naomi didn't tell Ruth was this was actually a Hebrew custom where the woman asked the man to marry him. Your mother-in-law ever set you up for something like that before? Come on. And so there she is, and Boaz wakes up, and, and they've had lots of interactions, and so they've got a friendship and a relationship built, and, and there's this beautiful moment where Ruth says to Boaz, I'm cold, will you just extend the edge of your garment over me? Really, what was being said was, will you take me in? Will you care for me? Will you provide for me? So Boaz says, all right, I want you to be quiet. Don't tell anybody about this, because there's something else bigger at work here. See, Naomi was bitter, but Ruth was committed. Ruth went to work. She honored her her, her verbiage that she said to Naomi. She honored God, and and she was involved. But Boaz is a noble-charactered man. Because you see, in this moment, Boaz could have simply taken advantage of the situation, and he could have said, well, there's this awesome Moabite woman that, that, that wants me to marry her. I could, I could have her, and, and I could just do this. But there's one problem, you see, because Boaz isn't the next kinsman redeemer. There's somebody before him. And so if he were to do that, he would, yeah, he would, he, would, he would gain Ruth and Naomi and he would gain everything that they have, but he would be breaking his word to the law, to the unspoken law of the kinsman redeemer. So I love the very next scene because he says, okay, I want you to get out of here. Don't let anybody see you because I'm going to fix this. I'm going to take care of this. And isn't it, isn't it a beautiful imagery that when we lay at the feet of our redeemer, he can save us? Isn't that cool? I promise you this. You have a Redeemer, and He wants you to lay at His feet, and He wants to save you as well. Back to our story. Boaz is a noble man. He's a man of character. So he goes into town, and he finds the guy who's supposed to be the knucklehead. First off, where's this guy been? Why hasn't he taken care of this family? He hasn't kept his word. He hasn't honored them. And, and so Boaz goes, and he calls him out. He says, hey, where have you been? They, there's the, Ruth and Naomi, they need you. You need to redeem them. You need to redeem their land. And he says, oh, I didn't hear anything about it. Yeah, right. Come on, pal. And he says, okay, I'll do it. And he says, you do know that Ruth's that Moabite woman, right? And he goes, well, I don't want anything to do with that. Because that might jeopardize the way I look. It might jeopardize my integrity. 
And so what, what, what Boaz does is he takes off his shoe. And this is for real. This is what they did. And he says, he says, I'll do it. And he hands him a shoe. And what the handing of the shoe was symbolic of was the sealing of a contract. That's how they did it back then. And so the other kinsman redeemer would take his sandal off and they would then wear each other's sandal and keep each other's sandal as kind of a, a receipt for the exchange. They brought all the, 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 judge, the people together, the judges, the elders of the town, who, who solidified the, the handing off of the sandals. And Boaz honored his commitment as kinsman redeemer by going through the proper channels. And he redeems Ruth. He marries Ruth. He blesses Naomi. He's a man of his word. He's a man of character. He does so not because he has to, because as you saw, he didn't have to go and redeem because he was second in line. He did so because he got to. Because he got to demonstrate the love of a redeemer. You know what's beautiful about this story? Did you ever see a member of your family do something absolutely amazing? Maybe you're a grandparent and one of your grandchildren have just floored you with their potential. And maybe you've made this statement, that came from us? Right? Well, guess what? Naomi's about to have this moment. Because you see, when Ruth and Boaz marry, it's this glorifying thing, and and God has, has blessed them. Because you see, Ruth isn't just some chick in the Bible. She's the grandmother of who? Does anybody know? David. And from Ruth, from her faithfulness to what she agreed with Naomi, from Naomi struggling through her bitterness, I mean, think about this, comes the bloodline of Jesus Christ. They're a part of this story, and I'm going to tell you this right now, that God has something fantastic for you in your life. If you can let go of your bitterness, if you can see through your bitterness and understand that God is blessing you with roots all around you, and that you do have a Redeemer who in your darkest of times is going to completely renew you, completely refresh you. He's going to give you brand new life. He's going to give you hope, and that is Jesus, we are a part of that story. Ruth was a Gentile. She wasn't a Jew. She was the grandmother of David, for crying out loud. We have always been a part of the redemption plan. Isn't that awesome? We are God's people. Each and every one of us. And God wants us to keep our word. He wants us to be like Ruth. Because when we honor our word, whether it seems significant or insignificant, I'm pretty sure Ruth wasn't thinking to herself, well, if I just am good to this old lady, the savior of mankind will happen. No. She said, I love her God. I'm going to follow her God, and I'm going to honor the commitment and the vows that I made. And Boaz does the same thing. Is your bitterness keeping you back from recognizing the blessings that God has for you? Because he will bless your socks off, church. He has something great for you. Let go of the bitterness. Who are the Ruths in your life? Are you a Ruth in somebody else's life? Are you standing by loving people, not because you have to, not because you're going to get something from it, because you can. Because the reality of it is, is God doesn't need us. He loves us. Because he can. There's an interesting parallel to all of our past couple of weeks when you look at Abraham, when you look at just all these different character studies we're doing. 
They were all in the bloodline of Jesus. They were, most of them were in the bloodline of Jesus. And in order to be in the bloodline of Jesus, like Abraham, he had to leave everything. Ruth had to leave everything. And when Jesus talked to the disciples, what did he say? Leave it all behind. I love the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer and some of these greater modern thinkers have said it, that, and Paul even said it this way, that but when Christ calls you, he bids you to come and die with him. In the 1800s, when we would send missionaries out, their families would say goodbye to them because they never came home. We're blessed enough to be able to see our families again. But I'm going to tell you this. When we make a commitment to God, we should be committing it all, no matter what the cost. I feel like we're losing sight of the severity of the commitment that we make when we commit to the Lord. It would be so easy if a lot of the stuff in this book wasn't in there. I would love it if there wasn't a single verse in there about gay people. But the reality of it is, is there is verses in there. And it makes my job really hard to have to sit down and explain to people what Romans 1 is talking about. But Christians, we can't waffle on this stuff. We didn't write the book. We're called to follow it. We're called to be committed to it. And that doesn't mean waffling because we don't like the way something sounds. This is the Word of God. And as believers, we need to commit to it and honor that commitment. Look, you didn't write this. You're just called to obedience to it. Amen? So let's just pray, guys. God, we love you. We thank you, God, that you have provided a Redeemer for us. That even though we didn't deserve it and you didn't have to, you sent Jesus Christ our kinsman redeemer to take the broken things that we once were that we still are and you decided to make us part of your family help us to remember God that the commitments that we make are not commitments that should be made lightly especially in our marriages when we declare we want to live for you God may we honestly weigh what that means Because the reality of it is, God, is we as a church, as a body of believers, we should look different than the world. And we should not apologize for that. People in darkness don't want more darkness. They're looking for light. Help us to be the light. Help us to open ourselves to you and what you have for us, God. Help us to be like Ruth and to honor our commitments. Help us to be like Boaz and to show grace and mercy. Help us to be like Naomi, who eventually would get it, God. She she encouraged Ruth to, to find a Redeemer. We have a Redeemer this morning, Lord Jesus. Help us to not live lives of failure like we don't. Help us to not think that our past sins are keeping us from your future promises because, God, you love us no matter what. Your love is not conditional. You, you are demonstrating that hesed love to us, unconditional, not because you have to, but because you get to. Let that affect us. Let that move us. Let that change us. So that when we walk beside people in life, we can honestly say to them, come with me. Follow me. Let's worship God together. Let's serve together. So God, surround us with Ruth's. Surround us with Naomi's that we can minister to. And we thank you for our Boaz named Jesus who redeemed us.
It's in your name we pray.